Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Today, my sister, Kirsten, uh, is going to uh, bring the word, and of all the guest speakers I've ever introduced for my entire time in ministry, I can truly say, I've known her my entire life. Um, uh, she's my older sister. I won't tell you how old she is, but she's older than me. Uh, she's been married for 30 years. She's got an amazing son who's married, and uh, she's been involved in teaching and mentoring her entire life, uh, besides teaching and training uh, throughout America and in the, in the United States with the YMCA organization, conference centers, and camps, etc. Much like Dan and Michelle, um, she was a public school teacher. She was a special needs, special uh, education teacher in the public school system, in the high schools uh, for nine years, and she was a home educator for 13 years. Believe it or not, she's been a pastor, which I think has kind of linked our hearts a little more over the years, because once you become one of these weirdos, it kind of sticks with you, you know? And uh, she's extremely knowledgeable in interpersonal relationships. She's trained in Sozo and Advanced Sozo. She's a spiritual director. She's the founder and chief executive officer of MonarchSprings.org, uh, which is her ministry in Princeton, uh, Indiana. You can always remember her name is Kirsten, because it rhymes with... Pri- Pierston, Pierston, and Kirsten. There you go. Uh, she has a passion and a calling to create whole people. So she has a great ministry to your heart and to your spirit. And uh, she's a lovely person on the inside and out. Would you please welcome my amazing sister, Kirsten wow, Pattengale, to the platform this morning? Kirsten. Uh, I will. Wow. Thank you. I'm going to have him note I'm going to have him notarize all that. Wow. <clears throat> no. Eric, I was telling Jenny on the way here. Eric and I um, are you're apart in school. Uh, it's there were challenging days, there were entertaining entertaining days, adventurous days. Um, I was telling Jenny, he's the brother that drooled over me and sucked like I had me on the floor, uh, drooled over me and sucked it up before it landed. You know, so I'm scarred. That's how I. That's why I needed Sozo. Um, no. Just uh, I will tell you though, the dude is amazing. I think the kingdom comes through Eric because of how he's wired. Um, yeah. So I'm just thankful for him. I'm thankful for, gosh, what he's created in Springfield and honored, um, truly honored to be here. Um, so I have a question, just a housekeeping thing. Is that timer for me up there? Okay, I just need to know I have 40 minutes, right? Yes, something like that. I don't wanna go over, trying to be honoring of our time today. Um, Aaron, would you um, put up the first slide or whoever's back there? There we go. This is a headline from a Springfield paper a couple years ago, I think. Matt Wagner is the reporter. And it says, do we have a gang problem? Police admit Springfield is home to hundreds of gang members, but they say a presence doesn't equal a problem. Hmm, not sure what that means. Uh, some residents say police hide behind semantics as gang, gangs poison neighborhoods with drugs, violence, and crime. Amen. All right, not a really great way to open, but I wanna tell you why it has to do with belonging. Um, believe it or not, I graduated from Illinois State in special ed, 1985. 
uh, launched into school, but the thing was, my first school, I probably shouldn't give you the name, but I'll give you a big hint. It was on the south side of Peoria. Um, and I drove to school as this cute little white girl from Pekin uh, into uh, this high school that was all black, pretty much. Uh, I had to park in a chain link fence the first day that had barbed wire around it. They locked my car in the parking lot for the teachers and then the police roamed the halls to make sure we were all safe. I didn't have my own classroom so I had to travel every hour to my new room um, because I was low man on the totem pole. The reason this is important today is gangs know how to create belonging. Let's let that land a minute. I actually learned more in my first year of teaching than I taught because there were the disciples and the vice lords both cohabitated this high school. So you, that's why you have the police in the hallways um, because they want territory, there were fights every day, weapons brought to school. But I will tell you that those kids knew how to create belonging, they knew how to speak identity, they gave each other a name, they protected each other. They had social support and they had solidarity. And I thought, wow, what would it look like if the church could get a hold of this truth? We all need a place to belong. I don't know, uh, you know, I, I've worked in special ed and I've worked with a lot of kids, um, emotionally handicapped, learning disabled. Everybody has a hole in their heart for a mom and dad to fill. So belonging starts in the family. It really does. It starts in the family and it's supposed to be modeled in the church. So this isn't a corrective message I'm bringing to you. I hope it's inspiring. I hope it changes your heart today and I hope you encounter God today. I'm not about educating you as much as I am about creating space for Jesus to show up for you. The ladies know that, uh, that we're here yesterday. I wanna think of this as a living room and we're gonna have an encounter with God, he's gonna join us, it's a three-way conversation, so you will hear things I don't say. That's even better, right? Listen to this quote by Chris Ballatin, who recently wrote an article about having a fatherless epidemic. We're not in, we are now in the midst of a fatherless epidemic. Fathers have exited the picture. They've not died from war, nor have they returned home. Children are growing up in homes with unstable beams and cracked foundations, and they have been left to battle the storm of life without the provision they need, a protection of a man, and promotion into their destiny. Now, I'm a great mom, I know that. My son has fortunately reminded me that I'm smarter now than I used to be when he was 16. Um, but I will tell you, nobody could call my son into manhood but my husband. I don't have what it takes to do that. I'm not a man and I'm not his dad. There were days when Vince had to talk to Josiah and say some hard stuff and I had to leave the room. And it wasn't that Vince was saying something wrong. He was calling him into manhood. And this mama's heart hurt too much. It was either that or it's gonna take my husband out, you know, and that wasn't a really good option at that point. I am taller than him, but not stronger than him. Listen to these statistics for a minute. These were part of Chris's report. 63% of youth suicides are from homes without fathers. 90% of homeless people or runaway children grew up without a father. These are uh, statistics that Chris got and I can give you the article if you're interested. 85% of children who show behavior disorders 
Wow, that's my backyard, used to be, are fatherless homes. 85% of people that are motivated in violence are fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. We are neurologically wired for connection. So in the, in the next minutes we have together, I want you to know something. I will be quoting a lot of Bible verses to tell you we're a family of God created to create family. But I will also be, there are some other quotes of Chris Valentin because I read an article of his, heard a message, and it felt like I was home. It's my nerd, and I want to I wanna share it with you this morning. The other thing I'm going to share is some stuff from Brene Brown. You may or may not like her. I would refer to Brene Brown as a Texas Christian. That means a Christian that cusses. <clears throat> so there'll be more on her later. But I will tell you, she did eight years of research on shame. She discovered what wholehearted living is. And she, she really nailed down belonging. And I want to refer to her as well, so hopefully you'll open your heart if you've got an attitude about her, and at least be willing to hear my words today. Because I think the church, this is a message for the church. I think it's uh, something we all need to hear. Chris Valentin again said, he quoted her in 2000, uh, 2016, he, he read, uh, gave a message at Bethel Valpo, or Bethel Reading, sorry, um, where he was giving a rally cry to the church at Bethel Reading to say, um, I'm going to propose, and I want to propose this to you as well, that people don't belong until, they don't believe until they belong. I want to say it again. Those of you who were here yesterday, I showed a movie called The Butterfly Circus. The limbless man was allowed to spectate. He showed up to a circus. He has no arms and legs. He was in a freak show. And when he arrived, the ringmaster Mendez, who models Jesus in this clip, said, wow, it's so good you're here. You're welcome. Didn't ask him, you know, did he know Jesus? Didn't ask him what his gift set was, what his motivational gift was, what he wanted to do. And little Sammy, the kid, remember, he fed him popcorn and he watched. He was allowed to belong somewhere. And I think belonging allows us to believe the truth. Because I've met a lot of Christians who can memorize scripture to me, but I don't think they know the love of Jesus. And the belonging, that's what Jesus wants us to have. So I want to go to the first slide if I can, guys. The blessing of belonging. Yeah, so let me preface just real quick. I know we were talking about Chosen last night. I don't know, a lot of people probably watch Chosen. Um, I'm late to the party. I started watching a couple weeks ago. And um, I'm not so keen on Chosen. I think if it works for you, great. Um, you know, we were talking about, I just, it's good. But here's where I got captivated. So that's my, that's my precursor. But here's Mary Magdalene. Is it the first session of season one? Jesus calls her by name. Right? Does he say this? Thus saith the Lord, who created you and formed you, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I watched it the other night and I started weeping because that's belonging. You belong to me. Ha! Jesus creates belonging. So in Isaiah, we have that passage. That's what I want to go from, guys. So belonging is a big deal to God. You were formed, redeemed, called. He calls you his. Family's the first place we belong. 
family's the cornerstone of the body of Christ, right? I, I like to think sometimes that the Trinity really is a family. I know I'm not preaching heresy here, right? But God the Father, Jesus the Son, I think Holy Spirit exemplifies a lot of the feminine heart of God. Um, so God created family for himself. And then he put us in families. So um, going on to the next slide, if I can, um, Genesis 2, 18, God made us for connection, right? He said, it isn't good for man to live alone. I will make him a helper suitable to him. Now, I want to say to anybody that's in the house, I'm not going to, don't, don't hear me, single people. I had a son who was single for a lot of years, and he said, I want my heart to belong to Jesus, Mom, until he tells me to give it away to somebody else. So if you're single in the room, it's okay. Jesus should be walking with you. And he holds your heart, and he cares for you, and he becomes real to you. Because you got, he wants to do that, right? So I want you to know, yeah, spouses can, Jesus can be our spouse, Holy Spirit can be our comforter, and we can walk in that way in the kingdom. But he puts the lonely into families. It also says that in Psalms, right? The other thing that I want you to know, next slide please, is that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us into himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he, he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So what I love is I love to meet adopted kids, because I say to them, you were chosen twice. You're adopted? Well, that's fantastic. Somebody actually picked you and said they wanted to love you. I mean, I got Josiah, I didn't have an option. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Um, I love him a lot. Are you kidding me? We waited seven years to get him. But, um, but I do remember, I used to think, oh, I, don't, I could never adopt. Um, I, you know, because I want to I have the baby. I want to I have kids. And I was in a Panera one day, and a little curly black-headed girl that was with two other women um, in the restaurant, she walked over and she brushed my leg, and I fell in love with her. I knew that she was being cared for by these two gals. And I thought, oh, mothering has nothing to do with birthing babies. And I waited seven years, so I'm kind of arguing with myself, right? No, I do know. I wanted to be a mom. But I will tell you, mothering has nothing to do with birthing babies. It has to do with being a mom to the house of God, being the mom to women that you know. Um, so adoption is awesome. Again, another quote for you of a statistic, and I think we'll all agree with this, but 2012, an average internet user had three social accounts. Like, it took me, it was hard just to get one for me. Like, just, I was like, Mom, you gotta be cool. Let's get a Facebook account. Um, okay, so there were three in 2012, and now the average is closer to seven. And in spite of all the connectedness, connection seems to be missing. Time behind the screen hasn't solved the problem of loneliness. And neither does being busy or being around people all the time. We can feel alone in a crowded room. So Chris Fallon, when he delivered this message, his thesis was, people need to belong, to believe, and then they'll behave. I didn't really care for the behave word. Again, that feels a little control, a little, hmm. So he brought a correction to the church, like I said earlier, but what he's saying is sometimes, these are his words, I think the church requires people to behave first. It's okay, I'm guilty, I'm part of the church. But I think sometimes we require them to behave first, and then we're gonna teach you what to believe, 
And gosh, we sure hope you belong. Ow. Okay, I I'm saying that to myself, but where do we do that, guys? Where do we expect, John Wimber started the Vineyard Movement, and if you've heard his testimony, um, I knew about John Wimber's story before I joined the Vineyard Church, but one of the things I love is these poor old ladies uh, were in this church, and John was, John had people, he had revival following him, and he brought these people, this was during the 60s, so we had hippies. Um, some of you may have to Google what that means. Um, but anyway, um, uh, we, had, we had hippies. And um, John brought these people in, and these old ladies were like, you're ruining our church, John. You're ruining our church. And he goes, I just thought I had to catch them, not clean them. <laughs> so John Wimber quote. Yeah, so I think we sometimes lose sight of what our job is in the church. Um, so can we talk today about how belonging happens, right? Because I will tell you this, this is a part of Chris's statement, so I am quoting somebody. He said, I think the church is an orphanage. Now that's not a harsh word, but I will tell you this, the, there are people in this room that need a mom and a dad, right. right? We don't always have them. My dad wasn't the greatest. And so what I had to learn to do was God wasn't gonna treat me like my dad. And he fathered me. And he told me who I was. And he protected my heart. But what I realized was it kinda, so I don't know if I can say, it kinda sucks to not have a dad that does those things. But I will tell you, God can make up for all of it. <laughs> and so now I know, the, what's hard about it is, is, and you guys, there's a lot of people who are probably like this, you come to know Jesus and then you end up parenting your dad. Right, you end up loving your dad and showing what love looks like. And so, guys, it's an epidemic portion. And let me move past before I go in a hole. Don't wanna discourage you. If I can have the next slide, from Galatians, it speaks to what family is. In Christ's family, this is the Passion Translation version. I like it, it had the words I wanted it to have. But it's a translation nonetheless, and I think it's still true. You can look it up in whatever version you like. But listen to this, in Christ's family, there can be no division. No Jew or Gentile, no, right? No Jews or non-Jews, slaves or free, male or female, among us all are equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ, we, right? And since we are Christ's family, then that makes us famous descendants of Abraham, heirs of the covenant promise. So we belong to the family, we're equal, we all belong. We all have a seat at the table. Chris goes on, and now this is where he's quoting, so I just have fun telling the story. I'll try to make it brief. Chris is telling in his sermon, if you wanna look it up, you can hear the whole thing. But he says, you know, my son Jason texted me and said, Dad, I've been wrecked by this Brene Brown TED Talk on vulnerability. You gotta to listen to it. And Chris says, you know, and, and Eric, make it a test this. Anybody that's like, when people come up to you and tell you, you gotta watch this, or you gotta read this, it happens all the time. And so Chris honestly says to his house, he says, well, here's the deal, when people do that, I don't usually do that. I may watch a little bit and then tell them it was great. I think that might have been a mistake to share on a Sunday morning uh, with his house. But um, he said, if Bill Johnson tells me to watch something, my wife or my son does. He said, I'm watching a basketball game and I think, okay, I'll put Brene Brown's a TED Talk on the power of vulnerability on my phone and I'll watch both. He said, I didn't get into this TED Talk by a minute. I turned the basketball game, game off, went to my office, put the TED Talk up, 
TED Talk up on my big computer and took 16 pages of notes. So I tell you that because if you value his voice, he is the one trying to give Brene Brown credibility within the body of Christ to say she's got it. We were created with the core need and we are neurologically wired for connection. That's not Brene's, that's not her truth. That's what God says. And science is starting to prove that God's right. Research revealed that the greatest fear is not, belong, is not belonging rather than public speaking, which I thought that was the number one, right? Fear. Because here's what happens. If I try to belong and I reach out and you reject me, I'm going to get stuck. And shame is the biggest enemy of belonging. And I got news for you. Shame is not in the list of the fruits of the spirit. We don't operate in shame in the kingdom. But that's the fear that causes people to not move into connecting. Shame. Brene goes, if we could do the next slide, please. Brene, this is her definition for wholehearted living. Wholehearted living is about engaging our lives from a place of worthiness. Let me just stop there a minute. If we were honest with ourselves, do we feel worthy? I hope so. But that's what Jesus is saying, is he calls us worthy. It means cultivating courage, compassion, and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done and how much I leave undone, I am enough. Amen. I've got what it takes. Right? Yeah. I've, yeah, we'll just leave her there. The, the, the thing about belonging... is that um, Corinthians says, your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness, and he has transplanted us into the kingdom of his son. We sang it this morning. So true belonging only happens, if I could have the next slide, please only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of acceptance. So here's why level of acceptance is important. The, the commandments that Jesus reiterated that were the most important to the Pharisees and those that asked in the New Testament was to love God, right, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, Mark 12, 31. And again, part of Chris's uh, argument as he was preaching, and I just want to reiterate it because I think it was funny when he said it, he didn't mean for it to sound like this, but he says, I'm pretty sure a lot of us have a bad ass. Love your neighbor as yourself, because if you don't love you, you can't love anyone else, or you will love them like you love yourself. And that's a little bit of a chance for us to go, wow, how do I love myself? So, um, quick story, I, like Eric, I was raised in the Lutheran church, thankful for catechism, thank you, you know, I had to do two years so I could take communion, um, of instruction, um, and so I'm thankful for that foundation. I then was raised in a church, got married and was in a church over 20 years that was a really good Bible church. Truth and the Holy Spirit, it was a powerful experience. But in 2014, I was in Nashville. We'd moved four times in five years at this point. My husband's a camp director. We move around, and we had changed um, 
we had, we bring change to YMCA camps. So there's a YMCA camp in Indiana called Camp Tecumseh. It started out as nothing and it's a $6 million operation. Jesus is what did it. And Vince and I were part of the team that brought about that change. And so I understand how to bushwhack. I've done it quite a bit, moving from camp to camp. But I got to Nashville and I had no friends. I was in my 50s. I was going to this church. I wasn't able to get connected. I was frustrated. And a friend of mine said, you need to go to Encounter. It's, you know, and I know you guys have an encounter. This was a four-day experience where you get brutal feedback from strangers. Who would pay for that, right? But I thought, I am, I did. I, I, I was desperate enough to say this. I think I'm sabotaging the very thing I want, and I don't know what I'm doing. Wrong. But I can't, I can't find belonging. I told Cheryl this morning, I even signed up for this class called Belonging, right? And, and I thought, oh, I'm going to go to this, and then I'm going to belong. So I get there. I get my little book, write my name in the book. It's called Belonging. It's by Thriving Recovery. It's all about how, um, oh, so I get there, and I think, I'm going to belong. These people are going to accept me. And you get there, and they're like, so here's the deal. We're believers. We create belonging because we know who we belong to. What? That is not the party I came to. <laughs> I want to belong. Right? And I'm in my 50s at this time. And I'm still, and I'm like, okay, so, so I take my girlfriend up and I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll sign up for that counter. I'll pay the 95 bucks or whatever it was at the time. Four days in a room with 50 strangers and they're just setting you up. There's no teaching involved. You encounter everything. We're in this one, 50 people, horseshoes, you go around and this is what we're instructed to say. I want you to step up to a person and look them in the eye and say, I'm experiencing you as and then tell them how you're experiencing them. Now, they've only known me 48 hours. So, so the instructor said, you're gonna throw away the stuff that feels like it's left field and it has nothing to do with you. That's probably about them. And the stuff you've heard before, let that go. I want you to pay attention to the gut punch. When somebody gives you feedback and it punches you in the gut, I want you to pay attention. I'm like, okay. I mean, it's, it didn't sound painful. It was. Just wait for it. Um, so I'm going around the circle, and people are saying, well, here's a funny one. Those of the, my family that know me, they're like, oh, Kirsten, I experienced you as, a, as athletic. <laughs> Cheryl's laughing, yeah. See, we went to high school together. <laughs> it's okay. I'm good. I know who I am. I know who I belong to. It's all right. I'm just telling you I flunked the presidential fitness test. <laughs> they put my little chin up on that bar where you're supposed to hold. They pull the chair. Boom. I went down. Yeah. I don't do well with that. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we're going down reminiscing here. I need to get back. Um, so I'm going around the circle, and this cute little girl, I come in front of her. Oh, and by the way, this is what you say to people who give you hard feedback. I think we could all learn from this in the church. Thank you for being honest enough. Thank you for loving me enough to be honest with me. Let me say it again. So, or here, here's it. Thank you for loving me enough to be honest with me. By the time I was done with these four days, I felt like those people were my church. Because we all got, you know, sorry I'm gonna use the word, we all got naked. We got vulnerable, we didn't take clothes off. We got vulnerable. So here's what the little girl says to me. I walk in front, her name was Marissa. I walk in front of her and she says this, Kirsten, gosh, I experience you as, gosh, you, you seem smart. I think you're probably a teacher. Um, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, but inside, I hear you screaming, what the fudge? Sorry, I tried to clean it up but she said the real word. That was the gut punch. I don't talk like that. First of all, she just cussed at me and she said it really loud. I couldn't even put that sentence together. I couldn't even say, thank you for loving me enough to be honest with me. 
the trainer was right behind my right shoulder and he fed me the lines. Kirsten, say thank you. <laughs> and then he bodily moved me, kind of like we did yesterday in the fire tunnel. You know, like I got moved. Um, at the end of it, I knew that was my. I knew that's what I paid the money for. So I walked up to her afterwards because I had homework to do. You know, process and journal about why this was a gut punch. She said, Kirsten, I feel like you've been raised in the church. You've done everything right, right? I'm a recovering performer perfectionist. So you've been raised in the church, you've done everything right, and Jesus just hasn't really shown up for you like you wanted him to. Here's my cleaner version of that line. Anybody remember the old Wendy's commercial where the purple-haired lady's in the car and she goes, where's the beef? <laughs> it's like, this isn't Jesus because I'm doing everything right and he's still not showing up. So what I'm telling you is, belonging happened to me on those four days when I was brave enough to get vulnerable. And what I had done is I had hidden to keep myself safe. I had self-protected. So these are some of the things that Brene does. We can go ahead and show the next slide. Um, belonging is the innate human desire to be a part of something larger than us. But because this yearning is so primal, we often acquire it by fitting in or seeking approval, right? Which are the only hollow substitutes for belonging or often barriers to it, right? So fitting in for me was assessing a situation to try to figure out who I was supposed to be so they would accept me and like me. That's not what you should be doing. So I'm giving you the definition of what's wrong. But I spent, I thought it was a good thing. I wore a badge like, I'm a chameleon. This is awesome, I can fit in anywhere. I didn't have a clue who I was, but I could fit in everywhere. Um, I think what happens in Christendom is I go into a church and I try to figure out, okay, so what's valued here? Okay, we want to be spiritual. Okay, so I'm going to go to a conference, I'm going to tell somebody what prophetic word I got, and I'm going to be spiritual and I'll fit in and they're going to like me. I'm going to talk like them. That's not belonging. That's being a poser. Right? Or another time, I would hide to protect my heart. Okay, I bet a lot of you have done this. I was in Kroger and I saw somebody I want to talk to and I would go down another aisle. <laughs> Come on, you know who you are. And so, because uh, I didn't want to have that conversation. Or I'm in Kohl's and I hide behind a mannequin. Yes, I have done that in my 30s. <laughs> and I was noticing nobody was paying attention to me at church, people I wanted to be accepted by. And so I called a friend who um, has a Christian think tank in South Carolina or emailed, and this is what he said to me. You know, Kirsten, you might, and he didn't know my story. He's, you know, I just would buy some of his products, but he said, gosh, did you ask that question? I would ask you, have you partnered with hiddenness to keep yourself safe? Partnered with hiddenness? Yeah, I trusted hiding myself more than I trusted God to keep me safe. That's why I went down the other aisle in Kroger. That's why I hid behind the mannequin. When I broke agreement, it was a simple thing. I'm like, hey, Jesus, you know what? I realize I've hidden to keep myself safe. So will you forgive me? I don't want to do it anymore. I want to walk away from it. That's what repentance is, right? I just turn the direction and go the other way. I did, and I'm not making this up. Two weeks later, those people I wanted to notice me were asking me my name and asking me to coffee. I had broken agreement with a false way of how I was trying to be accepted. Bravely broke agreement with what kept me safe and I was invited to coffee. That's like my favorite thing to do, is meet people for coffee. So again, I'm trying to invite us into this idea that we need to belong. But I would pay attention how you introduce yourself. 
I think we often introduce ourselves with our legitimacy or what gives us identity. You know, I was challenged because, you know, I want to be able to say some people in the world of education, I think I told the girls yesterday, I was in this, this um, went going on to get my master's and everybody had power suits, power hair and power jewelry, you know, and I was like, whew, I don't think I want to fit in here, right? But they all led with what degree they had, where they got their bachelor's, where they got their master's, right? That was their legitimacy. Um, I think in down in Tennessee, people want to tell you how many guns they have. <laughs> I'm married to people who have guns, so there's no problem with that. But if you want to brag about, you know, or, uh, or hunting dogs, or in California, it was surfboards. What kind of board you've got. So pay attention to how you introduce yourself, because that's not who you are. That's just who you're telling other people you are. Because I, I'm not brave enough to meet people and say this, I'm a child of God and I'm his favorite. <laughs> I am his favorite. And you know what? So are you. Like, I said that in a religious environment one day, and I was like, oh, I made him mad. Like, how arrogant of you. But we're all his favorite. So, um, anyway, I want to bring Jesus back into this conversation. So we're going to talk a minute about the women at the well. Jesus created belonging with a Samaritan woman. Chris, and, you know, really um, hashes it out or fleshes it out. But did you know, I, I wasn't ever sure why God... Jesus asked the woman um, about how many husbands, you know, go get your husband. He knew fully well she had five. And I wasn't sure. I think sometimes people read that and they think Jesus was being judgmental or, or like pointing out her sin. But Chris brought, just think about it, I'm proposing it. Chris said she didn't divorce anybody. Men were the ones that divorced in the Bible. That woman had been rejected by five men. She had been rejected by five men. And she was a Samaritan, so she was a half-breed. Jesus shouldn't have been talking to her because she was a woman. Can you imagine how cool that was? Jesus created belonging for her because he accepted her, right? He not only accepted her and didn't reject her, he didn't judge her, and here's the cool thing. He talked to her about living water and introduced the Holy Spirit to her. Now, it didn't come for two more years, right? But he was inviting this half-breed, divorced woman into the kingdom of God. Wow. And you know what? I just like saying this when I talk about her. She was the first evangelist. Rock bottom. Jesus accepted her. Her life got changed and she changed the city. When you talked about Springfield, you guys can change the city with who Jesus is for you. So the other baptism or the other uh, belonging I want to talk about is Jesus' baptism. So Really quickly, because I'm, you know, I want to make sure we have time. We're going to do a little ministry in a little bit. Um, yeah, Jesus comes up out of the water. Oh, let me back up before we go there. Let me just say this. Let's do the next slide. I got ahead of myself because this is what I want to say next. Let me find my spot. Plain enough as it is, you no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Let that land. God is building a home. He's using us, irrespectively of how we got here, in what he's building, right? So whether you're a Samaritan, whether you showed up this morning, you've never been in this church, and you, took, you went to your first recovery meeting this week, you belong. Because we don't require you 
to perform to belong here. Now, I don't attend here, but I know the heart of the people that do. You belong here. So if we can go to slide um, 10, please. Destiny Church. What would, what would happen if you knew who you belonged to, who you fully, that you were fully known and accepted, and you were fully alive and knowing that you're loved? Because God created the family, and it's our first place to belong. Hmm. Next slide, please. Because I suspect if we knew we belonged, this was what we would have. I carry a family name. I have an identity. I'm known, and I have a community. I'm accepted because I have a people. I'm valued, and I'm significant. I share ownership, and I have a place. I have a responsibility, and I have a role. We have core values. I think like my people. I have the same vision. So I would tell you, some people, when they start going to a church, I've been a pastor, they say, hey, I have a great idea for you. They're wanting me to do it, because I'm the pastor, and they just have the idea. Then if somebody talks to me like that, I think this isn't your church. So I'm not, uh, Eric and I have not talked, but I'll just tell you, if you've been a pastor, you know, people want to come to you and they have a plan for your life. But I can't do it at all. That's not how the body is supposed to work. Come on. We all belong. We all have, we are valued. We all have ownership. I have a place. I have a responsibility. I have a role. So then they'll come and they'll say things like, they'll call the church. I used to go to a vineyard church. They say, I go to the vineyard. And then it changes when I know they belong. Vineyard's my church. Just some subtle changes in verbiage. But I will tell you that the church, the church the, at large, not this church, we thought that the pastor is supposed to be all end all. Beta Satan, uh, John Bevere wrote a book of Beta Satan talking about being offended. And, and the word offense comes from scandalon, which is the same word that holds the meat in a bear trap. Oh, wait, oh, offense is like a bear trap? Baited? Yeah, if I take an offense. So when I read that book, I got so convicted. Because I don't just get offended weekly. I get offended multiple times in a day. <laughs> Here's why. I have an unmet expectation of someone and they don't meet it. So uh, this isn't in my notes, but I just want to say, we got to drop the offense. But here's the th first top three people. I told my head pastor this, and he's like, well, that's horrible. Because John Bevere lists it this way. The first person people are most offended at are their, um, are their, their spouse, their pastor, and their parents. That makes sense to me, because that's where the biggest expectation is, right? But boy, if you're a pastor that's a parent and a spouse, whew. That stuff, stuff. You know, so understand this. We need to drop the expectation and ask Father God, what's my part? I belong. What's my place? Because when Josiah was younger, we lived at a camp. It was 600 acres. Every year he got older, he got more privileges. Right? He was able to go different places. He could walk to the camp store. He could go to the lodge. But we would always say to him, you don't get privileges without responsibility. They go like this. So don't expect to get privileges and not have responsibility in the kingdom, 
right? We're not orphans, we're sons, and we're being trained to walk in who God's made us to be. Okay, let me finish that with that. Ah. Let me say, you guys are a family. You need to be known as a community because you're accepted. We sang it this morning. Great song list, too, by the way. Holy Spirit was on the move. You're valued, you, have, you share ownership, you're responsible, you have a role, you have a common core value. So men and fathers, now we get to you. Now I'm a girl, I understand that, but this is what I do know. I can't be fully a woman unless my husband shows up as a man and my husband. Amen. Scripture's clear. God put Jesus at his right hand to rule and reign. Jesus puts man at his right hand to rule and reign. My husband says, come over here, girlfriend. We're going to rule and reign together. So it's not about controlling me or telling me what I can't do. It's about protecting me and making a way for me to show up. Because if you think I'm powerful, you ought to meet my husband. He's short, but he is powerful. And I'm more like Jesus because I'm married to him. Um, so the rest of the morning is going to be an invitation and an opportunity. What I want to say is, um, before we put the next slide up, when even Jesus needed a father blessing, he got it when he was baptized. Are you kidding me? That's one of my favorite stories. John's like, wait a minute, they were cousins. That's like Hannah baptizing Luke. Like, what? You know, right? I mean, it'd be like, I know you. What do you mean I'm baptizing you? No, he says you have to do this to fulfill the scripture. We have to do this. So he goes in the water, all-time favorite. Clouds open, God's voice. What does he say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if Jesus needs to hear his dad say that, I'm pretty sure we do. The dove landed, never left, but that was Jesus. Before, it was his commissioning before he went into the desert and went into ministry. He needed a father blessing. So guys, this isn't to make you feel um, overly responsible, but we're going to give you an invitation today to get a father blessing. And so let me explain a little bit because I think, oh boy, people may be getting nervous. This is what's going to happen. I've got a couple more slides. I'm going to teach you a little bit more about what a father blessing is. Then I'm going to have Steve Nordyke come up because he's a dad. I don't know Steve well, but he married Hannah and Ryan, and when he preached, he preached with a father's heart. He's been a dad to many in this house, so he has authority here. So I've asked him. In a minute, he will come up, and he's going to give a father blessing over all of us because dads have the authority to do that. God says so. Jacob and Esau fought over it. It's, it's biblically through scripture. It was the coveted thing to get. It's powerful and there's importance and we should be doing it in the New Testament. So, Steve will come up. He's gonna give us a father blessing. You don't have to do anything except open your heart and posture and let the words land and hit your heart. They need to go from your head 12 inches down. Steve will pray it, then I will close out in prayer, and I have five men that are going to come up towards the end of our service. Lexi will come up and play some worship, and if you want a Father blessing, I, will, I encourage you. I would encourage you. If even there's a glimmer, like I want to go, but I don't know what my wife thinks, or I want to go, but I don't want to cry. Well, get over that, because Jesus wept. 
Um, uh, so, so just get over it. Um, because there's a hole in your heart that if you're, so let, let's, that's what's gonna happen, guys. Let me lead us through. Next slide, please. This is an opportunity. You should be vibrating. Well, that's what I call it, but like, whew. Okay, so listen to this. The Father blessing, right? The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal water, the skies opened, right? The dove landed. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. Marked by my love, delight of my life in the message. Next slide. Father blessings. This is what they gave in scripture when they gave a blessing. Listen to this. This blessing is gonna look beyond today and it's for tomorrow and the next and the next. It's gonna communicate that he made you with specific gifts and callings. Dads are supposed to call out the giftings and callings of their kids. It's gonna declare what you can be and you can do. It communicates the father's love. It defends you. Your dad's gonna have your back. Here's the thing, don't rescue your kids from their consequences. Let me say that again. I have a 28-year-old, and I heard this when he was six. And I was like, I'm a mama bear. Of course I want to rescue him from his consequences. But he can't, Jesus can't show up and be Jesus if I rescue him. But I knew that my dad, you know, I know my heavenly father will defend me. Think about a kid on a playground. My dad, right? He can, you know. Kids, kids are great when they know what, who their dad is. It provides me hope in the midst of confusion. Dad's blessings can do that. Declares you that have a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. Instills parental acceptance into your thought process. Here's the deal, if you've got kids in public school, the peer group will win out over your voice unless you have a relationship with your kids. Let me say it again because I have been a public school teacher. I know the power of peer group. I know the power of what they think. I have a son, really quickly here. I think I have time. Really quickly here, let me tell you this story. Josiah's homeschooled, okay? But when he was um, eight, he felt broken. Told me that at night, tucking him in, mom, I'm broken. We were in Connecticut, he's all boy, and he had a couple bookworm boy, boys that were friends, and he felt broken. I'm paying attention as I tuck him in. And I'm learning this thing about healing prayer that I can actually talk to Jesus, so can he. So I said, Josiah, ask Jesus if that's true. I don't think you're broken. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm screaming to Jesus while I ask this, because here's the deal, you know, you're a mom and you don't want your kid to hurt. I'm like, Jesus. And so all of a sudden his eyes are open. He goes, he told me I'm a warrior. <laughs> okay, my guy likes swords and guns, so that didn't surprise me. Um, but the next word did. I'm his, I'm his homeschool mom. He's eight. And he hears God say, he, he hears a word and he phonetically pronounces it to me and it's ambassador. I know he doesn't know the word, I haven't taught it to him yet. So he phonetically pronounces it and I say, oh, that's an ambassador. That's like people that represent one country but they live in another. They serve a different king. And he goes, kind of like us here in Connecticut, well, that would be true. Yes, it felt that way to him. He got marked that night by two words God spoke to him. A year later at nine, he wanted to be baptized. We had people come, fellow, our family, church family, and you could write down words when people got baptized, prophetic words, Bible verses. There was a missionary from China in the back of the room, didn't know Josiah. Josiah comes up out of the water, and that missionary says to Josiah, Josiah, I heard two words when you came up out of the water, warrior and ambassador. 
Come on. That's how Jesus works. That's how Jesus works. So you can be doing this with your kids. Here's the punchline of the story. He's 12. I'm a special ed teacher. I get called into public school because they had the special ed teacher quit the week of school started. Kirsten, please. I bring my curriculum into my resource room. So I'm teaching Josiah his curriculum. He's going to go out and do the junior high rotations, art, PE, blah, blah, blah. First day of school, he's wearing a plaid shirt, tucked in, don't know if you know him, tucked in, dinner plate belt buckle, the kind bull riders win. (laughs) You could eat off the thing. And then he wants to wear his cowboy hat, because he's always wanted to be a cowboy. Um, I say to him, dude, you can't wear your cowboy hat to school. Like, you're going to have to put it in your locker. He doesn't know, you're like, you can't do hats in school. Okay, mom. Um, I say, are you sure you want to wear that buckle? Absolutely. Okay, whatever. He's in the hallway, first period, first morning of school, never been in public school, and the eighth graders are calling him a fag, they're calling him gay, they're calling him queer. They got all kinds of names they're calling him. I'm a mom at the other end, you know, doing hall monitoring. I want to go punch their lights out. <laughs> And I hear Josiah say something, but I don't know what he says. So at the end of the day, we're driving home. I say, Josiah, what, uh, what were, I heard him calling you names and I heard you say something, but I didn't hear what you said. He said, oh, mom. He said, I told him you don't get a vote. (laughs) You don't get a vote. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, because God's already told me I'm a warrior and ambassador. He was 12. You guys, your kids will teach you things. Your kids will teach you things. We have to have faith like a child enter the kingdom of heaven. And they really believe God is as good as he says he is. So, all right, sorry for that trip into the weeds. That's what the voice of God does when he speaks identity. Nobody else's voice matters. And dad, you can have that influence over your child's life. Okay, so that's a lot. A lot of blessings that we're meant to have because we're marked as a family. Yeah, wild at heart. Every boy has a battle to fight, a beauty to rescue, and an adventure to live. He needs to know that he has what it takes. John Eldridge, captivating, Stacy Eldridge. Every woman needs to be found beautiful, to be found captivating, and to be pursued. These are rock solid, how we're made in in great measure. So, here's what I want you to know today. It's not too late. First of all, if you have a good dad and he hasn't blessed you, ask him. Ask him to. You know, if you need notes, come see me. There's a great great, uh, resource I have. Dad, could you just bless me? Right? Um, Because he still can, it's not too late. Now, if you had a dad that wasn't so great, I have one thing to say before we go into the clothing. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you won't be able to receive a blessing. I know that's hard. When I needed to forgive my dad, and it happened over years, and it happened over, you know, it was a lot every day, and then it was weekly. But what got me was God said to me, Kirsten, when you stand before the throne and you look at me, you're not going to be able to say, oh, that was okay, because my dad... He said, it's between you and me, sweetheart. Your dad has nothing to do with this. So I knew I needed to forgive my dad, not because I felt like it, not because I was going to say, yeah, it was okay what he did, you know. I just needed to release him so I could be free. So if you're in a place where that's hard, take care of it. Forgiveness is easy. Father God, I forgive my dad for not protecting me, for not providing for me, for not speaking identity to me, and I release him to you. Come fill me now. 
It's not too late. So Lexi, if you would come up. Steve, you can make your way to the stage. I guess as they're coming, we're gonna move into that this time and Steve will come. Um, please hear me. This is an opportunity this morning. Don't pass it up. Don't pass it up. Um, this is a church family. I asked um, Hannah and Ryan, I said, I want some dads uh, to come up front. So you've got some men you'll recognize that are gonna be up here. Um, I, we prayed over it, and I'm not saying that some of you, uh, other of you in the room aren't good dads. I want a dad to come up and lock eyes with you, connect with Holy Spirit, and speak the words you need to hear, and pray over you. Identity, you've got what it takes, you're enough, whatever, however they're led. So, so would, let me just pray for our hearts. We're gonna land this thing and Steve's gonna come. So Father, just join me. Father, would you help us quiet our hearts? Would you help posture us in a place of receiving? Give us bravery and courage to open our heart to you. Let us willingly connect with a place where we, are, we feel insufficient. Would you help us identify the things we need to walk out of today as we open our heart to receive Steve's words? Come, Holy Spirit. Engage all of us. Leave us all changed as we leave today. We thank you for your presence. We ask you to come. In our culture, we don't, we don't recognize the power of a blessing. This last week in my devotions, <clears throat> I was reading an Old Testament interaction where um, a patriarch was blessing his sons. And it, it occurred to me, I thought, these guys are willing to fight for this blessing. They're willing to go to war with each other over this thing that this father speaks to them. And so it just dropped in my heart of blessing the, the power in this blessing that I'm going to speak over you today has two parts one part is me speaking it to you the words that go out from my mouth and the other part is you receiving it or not receiving it it becomes null and void if you don't receive it and this is for ladies and men here Close your eyes. And receive this word. Heavenly Father speaks his word, his blessing over you. You were my idea in the first place. I formed you inside your mother. Body and soul, you are marvelously made. Your life is hidden in me. The old is gone. The new has come. Because your life is in me, you are not under condemnation. Your life is under an open heaven of my blessing. You are not a slave to fear, but you are a son. You are a daughter. 
So out of your heart, you can cry out, Daddy, Father. And because you are my child, you are my heir, says the Lord. And you are co-heir with my son, Jesus Christ. My blessing on you is a new name. Your name is no longer unwanted, forsaken, rejected. You are now accepted, loved, and more than enough. You are a fountain of life, a river of healing, a rain of refreshing. You are a mountain of strength, a song of peace, and a wellspring of joy. Son, in you, I am well pleased. Daughter, you are my delight. Amen. Father, I just invite the men to come up and take the front of the stage for blessing. Stay where you're at, and this is how I'd like to roll. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We say more. Come, Holy Spirit. And if you would like a blessing, I'd like you to go to your left, and we'll form a line in a minute. But I want to say thank you for letting me speak today. Thank you for letting me share my heart. It's what I think God gave, so it's not mine. It's from Him. He wants you to be a family. You all belong. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.